Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, first thing is first, Noel. Happy day after your birthday, when everyone's hearing this. Right. Yeah. It's a very strange day. Listeners, we're recording on Noel's birthday, uh, which means we're recording on Friday. And you're in the future for us. So you know that Friday was a very strange day. And yeah. we'll find out how, just how strange it is for ourselves when we finish recording. But uh, we're going to stay focused here on two very important things, one of which is Noel's great. Happy birthday, Noel. Thank you. And also, like, TV, because there's just, it's it's been a weird day. How can we focus on TV? Because every time we do the podcast, Kate, an hour and a half later, something <laughs> bad has happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a trend that's happened to us. Like, the number of Friday news dumps that have happened while we are recording, and then we get off, uh, like, of recording, and my phone has exploded that has happened many times over the past several years but i fully anticipate it again today yeah yeah it's ramped up especially since i moved to um the northwest since i moved yeah. to it just got real bad so it's been shockingly it's been real bad since 2016 in the huh. that regard it is it's like weird how that worked that is just you know who would have thunk it um in tv news this week um there's a few things. The, there's one main thing, and then there's some interesting details. The main thing for us in TV news is that apparently a bunch of the, I mean, it's the Vancouver shows, right, um, have all shut down production because the there's testing delays for COVID-19 testing in British Columbia. So this is Riverdale, Batwoman, Big Sky, Nancy Drew, and Charmed. And what this was meaningful to me about was the fact that I didn't realize that all these shows were in production. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the fact that these shows are shutting down, not because they have had outbreaks, but because there is a delay in processing tests. So they can't be sure there isn't one. It's sad that that is reaffirming to me that that, that makes me feel better. <laughs> like, Hey, they're not waiting to know that there is an outbreak or even to know that there's a problem. They don't know that there's not a problem. So they're stopping. That's like, that is downright heartening in 2020. Yeah, um, it it really signals how much those studios are taking the safety of their crew and cast really, really seriously. Um, Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl were both supposed to start this week, and they did not as a result of, um, whatchamacallit, the testing delay. Um, so that's, that's a good sign um, that they just pause and the pause is supposed to be temporary um i knew that most of these shows were going to resume this month since they're still aiming to premiere in january sometime in january especially the cw shows um so that's that's that that is why they're doing this i think that they they're i think doing a better job than some of the other ones in terms of staying on a schedule for launch that also takes into consideration safety um down to the fact that i think supernatural is done like they completed yeah they're done they completed their filming for their last couple episodes 
um, for their final season. Now their other final season? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we're splitting yeah. those last two episodes. or Finaler. Finaler season. season um, up. But yeah, I think that the Variety is reporting that there is only a single lab that approves uh, the coronavirus testing. And that company is prioritizing schools, which, yes, good. You should prioritize schools. Yay. And not... Again, heartening for 2020. Right. <laughs> I mean, yes, no, like these television um, productions bring in a great deal of money to the area. However, schools <laughs> yeah. are important. Um, and also local businesses, which are also important because those local businesses provide goods and services to citizens and the casts and crew of the shows. So I think that the or their priorities are clearly in line and I'm glad that the studios and the networks aren't putting any undue pressure on these people to do their shows and stuff first. Yeah. So we will have more when we there is more. Mm-hmm. But uh I thought that was nice to see. Yeah. You know, nice to to hear and uh one of the better we're closing down production stories that we've heard in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, side note, speaking of like shows closing down, SNL is starting back up. Yeah. Which is so weird to me. Again, this is weird to me. Um, but they've announced the first two hosts. They're going to have Bill Burr uh, and Issa Rae hosting on the 10th, October 10th and October 17th. And the fact that they're going to be back in studio with all the like, like, is there going to be an audience? There, there's absolutely no way they can be an audience. How does live sketch comedy work without an audience? It's very strange. Um, so we'll see what it is. But, you know, if, if it's me, I'd be telling everyone, why aren't you still shooting from the attic? Shoot from your homes. Yeah. Is how I feel about it. So, you know, this is one of oh so many reasons why i am not in charge of uh production things in in hollywood because i would never i would never be the person they would choose to do that um yeah i'm excited to see both of these hosts uh just not under these circumstances so i look forward to watching these on youtube <laughs> after the air uh Another uh, announcement this week is Cobra Kai, which has been renewed by Netflix for season four. And and that's even before season three airs. Season three is coming in early 2021. I know that some people are very excited about Cobra Kai now that it is on Netflix. Um, So, yeah. Yay. Renewal news. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, A friend of mine uh, watched it all shortly after it dropped on Netflix, and she really enjoyed it. Um, I have not gotten around to it. My interest level is pretty low. Um, despite people telling me that it's pretty solid, but I'm, I'm not super duper interested, but it being more widely available is good. Um, but also people are going to look at that and go, but, but you renewed Cobra Kai. Why not Dark Crystal? Because puppets are expensive. Everyone puppets are very expensive. I said this last week. They're very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, our next bit of news is just some casting stuff. Um, and the thing for me is not. This casting, it doesn't really matter all that much, but I just did not know that this is a show that's happening. There's a show happening um, on Apple that is starring and produced by Cecily Strong, which is very exciting. Big fans of Cecily Strong here. Um, But it's where Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key are a couple backpacking, like on a backpacking trip, who run across a small isolated town. Um, where everyone, it's a magical town where everyone acts like they're in a studio studio musical from the 1940s 
and sings and everything. It's a you know, um, and the name of the town is Schmigadoon is what was in the article I read about it. And of course, this is the plot of Brigadoon for those who don't know. I was in a production of Brigadoon. I'm very familiar with Brigadoon. Um, so I am intrigued by this concept. I am more in, most intrigued by getting to see Keegan Michael Key as a romantic lead of a of a comedy. Again, because he's very, very good at that, as all of us playing house fans know. But also in the cast, Fred Armisen, Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cumming, uh, Aaron Tveit, uh, Tveit? Tveit? I don't remember, from Brain Dead, and also all of the singing on Broadway. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, Dove Cameron, Ariana DeBose, Jaime Camille, who, of course, we appreciate from Jane the Virgin, Jane Krakowski, and Harada, like... there's This is a ridiculous cast. It's executive produced by Lauren Michaels, um, but mostly Cecily Strong comedy vehicle that is also a musical comedy pastiche of 40s stuff with Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, these are all very interesting. Like, these are like buzzwords. They're, these are like Wheelhouse Kate buzzwords, <laughs> a lot of these. So we'll see what happens with it. The pro- The premise and title sound terrible, but, like, also super fun. I'm very torn about this. Yeah, I mean, is are you going to get Apple TV? No. <laughs> no. Well, then, yeah. But I can watch clips and stuff on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. I, there's stuff, like, you know, I'll, often they make an episode available. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm certainly intrigued. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, then the last thing here is that uh, after the success of the Princess Bride uh, t- cast table read, uh, which I don't know if you watched that, but... My um, my parents did, and it was absolutely delightful. The cast of Veep will be doing a reunion to raise money for the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Uh, this is being led by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And uh, I don't know what it's going to be, if it'll be a table read of a pre-existing episode, if it'll be something original and new, if it'll be a conversation, if it'll be original comedic material. No idea. But hey, Julia Louis-Dreyfus... Very Funny People, a show I, of course, covered for ha- half of its run at the AB Club, and ha- which has a very dear place in my heart. Uh, I look forward to seeing what this could be. And if it's just th- this cast swearing at each other, I will probably have fun with it. So, yeah, more on that as we get more details. Yeah, um, sure. This week, we are going to be spotlighting season one of Doom Patrol. That's right, listeners. I finished watching Doom Patrol season one after hating the pilot. Um, I'm so curious what the conversation is going to be. I look forward to Noel to your thoughts. Um, that's coming at the end of this, of the show, but we're going to have a truncated week in TV. There's a lot going on this week, guys. The world's crazy right now. It always is, but like, it's a particularly strange day. So we're going to keep things on the shorter side. Um, and we're going to head into our week in TV with a song from this week's episode of Love, Lovecraft Country. I'm still behind. I'm not caught up, but I mean, I saw that they had Josephine Baker, on Lovecraft Country this week on as in the soundtrack. And you think I'm not going to play Josephine Baker when I can play Josephine Baker? Of course I'm going to play Josephine Baker. So this is a message from the man in the moon, and we'll be right back up to this. I've got a message from the man in the moon for you. Just you. He said to tell you there's a bench in the pond for two. Just you. I know you should be sleeping. And I'm keeping you away, but I'm just delivering a message he told me to tell. I've got a message saying love will be round to call, 
That was, again, Josephine Baker's uh, message from The Man in the Moon, which was featured in this week's episode of Lovecraft Country. Uh, this week in TV, we will not be talking about Lovecraft Country, but we will be talking about the premiere of The Amber Ruffin Show on Peacock, episode one. Uh, then a few thoughts on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and Full Friendship with Samantha B for this week. Uh, we have some thoughts about the presidential debate. We have lots of thoughts about the presidential debate. We will just be talking about the TV-ness of the presidential debate, as opposed to the politics and everything else of that. Um, then I'll have a few thoughts on DuckTales. They put a moon lander on the earth and we'll round things out with the great British baking show, but our, the episode from last week, cake week, I might have a few thoughts on biscuit week, but we're going to focus on the premiere. Um, now that Nola's had a chance to see it. So first up is the Amber Ruffin show, uh, which had its premiere on Peacock and listeners in the notes. I just put, I just put a smiley face with the heart eyes emoji, because I just, I just, it's, I love it so much. This is, again, Wheelhouse Kate. It's exactly the kind of thing I was hoping for. I'm very happy with it. Uh, now my only concern is that it took until, like, it didn't go live until late on Friday last week. And I thought I'd be able to, like, wake up and have a shot of Amber Ruff on Friday mornings. No. No, they shoot it on Friday mornings. Oh, they shoot it? See, this makes so. sense, how it can be timely and such. Okay. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, What did you think of the Amber Ruffin show? Yeah, no, it's just, it's very silly. It's Mm -hmm. a very silly show, which is exactly what I was hoping it was going to be because Amber Ruffin and a couple of other very silly people were involved with it. So I enjoyed it. Um, It's definitely something that you can feel the lack of an audience in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ruffin is a performer that I feel like really thrives with an audience. Um, she's great without one. Don't get me wrong. She's delightful here. And her interplay with um, Tariq um, is also really, really great. Um, I think Tariq needs a little bit more work in terms of being comfortable um, on camera. But he's still having a decent time. And I'm not sure if his uncomfortableness is on purpose, though, either. Mm-hmm. Um, which it might be. Either way, it's good. And I'm glad that she has someone to bounce off of a little bit. So I think it's all pretty solid. I really enjoyed it. I really like the set. Um, the set looks it's, gorgeous. It's so nice. It's, like, really simple. But it's kind of just perfect enough for doing this one woman show with a commentator um and so it's really good and i really liked it and i like the whole like countdown clock was solid um the only thing and this just annoys me in general on this sort of thing i get that it's part of the joke but i just get really upset when these shows just keep wasting so much paper (laughs) (laughs) um i get that it's kind of the only way to do that without like using a touch screen and touch screen's not nearly as amusing mm-hmm. um but i'm just like that's just so much wasted paper it's just so much okay it's a, it's a good bit though it's just <laughs> a lot of wasted paper um did anything in particular like any particular sketch or bit stand out to you in this premiere i thought it flowed pretty well and the pacing was pretty good um the the, the structure i think works pretty well uh i would you know i would like to see a version of the show that had a little more money so that the sketches could have not just her in them but if you're gonna do one woman's sketches then like the monologue of the 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 cool aunt or whatever um is a pretty good way to go Uh, i also am very excited just about the wardrobe 
because oh, it's gonna uh-huh. be great. It already is great in the first episode. Uh, I did not, like you said, I love the set. I, I did not anticipate the set looking so snazzy. Um, yeah. So, oh, yay. you know, Amber was just like, "I'm going to have a snazzy, st- snazzy set. I'm working two jobs now. I get yeah. a snazzy set." Well, and that also was very encouraging to me. I was like, "Oh, good, she's still doing some some late night too. Good, yay." Um, but yeah, mostly I just, you know, this is everything you expect it to be based on her work and her spotlight segments on late night with, uh, Seth Meyers. So yeah, it, it was very much in of a keeping with that tone that she has established over there, uh, and brand for that brand for herself. And yeah, I look forward to it. So I thought, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a strong start and I look forward to, you know, watching it the next several weeks. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited to watch it tomorrow morning. <laughs> or this, uh, I, I, I greatly enjoyed watching it this morning. <laughs> yes, as of when y'all are listening to this. Um, our next show is Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And I mostly wanted to mention this uh, because I felt like John, because like, a bunch of the shows did their Amy Coney uh, Barrett segments mm-hmm. and this week. And I thought that his was far and away the best. And I thought that he really nailed some stuff that I haven't seen other people talk about. And I really, really appreciated it. Uh, the, the, the core message being, yeah, guys, we already lost this one and we still need to keep fighting, but you just like, we lost this, we lost this one. There's like, it's, yeah, it's too late. Keep trying to see what you can do, but uh, grieve, acknowledge what this means. And get ready because we don't get to stop fighting because we lost this one and we're all exhausted. Um, did you have a particular takeaway from this episode? No, I think that what you just described is exactly the takeaway. Um, and tonally, I think, uh, friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, and we were talking about that uh, during the Streaming in Place episodes, that just tonally, there's that kind of nervy anger um, that per- pervades that episode in particular. And I think that's arguably Oliver at his best. He's at his best when he's just being really angry or really wacky. Yeah, or um, petty. He's very good at petty. And petty. Well, obviously he's great at petty. Um, but that's like, that's, that's, that is a, um, that's the other access. Yeah. Access of the, the grid. Anyway, sorry. Um, but yes, he's very good at petty as well. Um, because he has all that, he has all that money to be petty. <laughs> it, it's very easy to be petty when you have a lot of money. Yeah, when you um, have an HBO budget. Yeah, but yeah, I think that that everything about this idea of losing it, especially at the time um, that they wrote and shot yeah. that episode, is it? It um, feels like it was for goddamn ever ago, and it right, was no, less it was than a week, week ago. Not um, even as we record this. Right. Um, that it made sense at the time. Now, I just go, I don't know if it makes sense, despite what Mitch McConnell keeps insisting, that they're going to still vote about this woman by the end yeah. of October. Um, yep. When I'm just like, buddy, I don't know that you can hold hearings right now. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Again, listeners, it's a strange fucking time. Um, yeah. yeah, but it was very well done. It was it was funny but also like just the the right balance for me of of dark and or like bleak and honest and i feel like too many of the other discussions around this have not 
been willing to be honest uh, about some of this stuff and, or just are too, like, there's a, there's a thing you're supposed to say. And mm-hmm. again, we lost is not, you know, we're screwed. The ACA is going to get overturned. Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned. And we already lost that battle is not what you're supposed to say. If you are a progressive or just, a, you know, just even a, like a moderate liberal, if you, if you yeah. agree with the majority of Americans about, about these issues, um, you're not supposed to say that. Uh, so it's, it was refreshing in a, you know, satisfying, but, but dark kind of way. So I wanted to make sure to mention it, uh, in a very different sense. I really appreciated Full Frontal Listen to Be this week as well. Um, because of the, the Amy Hoggart segment, like the yes. rest of it was good too. And oh my God, the expect the worst, uh, slogan, right? That I was appreciating right when it was first introduced on Full Frontal for this, for this, you know, campaign cycle and this election and everything. Um, it's just, yeah, it, that's just ages better and better. But, um, the, the Amy Hoggart segment on the, approach to reopening being taken by women like roller derby is delightful and so good and i really appreciated the shots of hoggart trying to to skate and these interviews with the roller derby people who are on the the reopening committee who are like yeah no i'm a i'm an er nurse i'm a epidemiologist i'm a you know etc etc uh, oh yeah, the thing is, none of us make any money from doing this. It's very, you know, if you do a, you compete in a sport or participate in a sport like roller derby, it is so low level. You're never going to make money from doing it, so you have to do it because you really love it and you get a lot out of it, and you also have to <laughs> have another job that takes so much of your time. So it just leads to a very different set of people who are passionate enough about it to be in charge of things like the reopening panel. Um, I thought it was a a good set of interviews. One of the more interesting and refreshing sets of interviews around sports reopening that I've seen. And Mm -hmm. it was super fun. Yeah. It's a very fun segment. Um, You mentioned Hogarth's stuff in the, New York Park, and I like that it ended with her not on roller skates, but on sneakers pretending to roller skate. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, yes, she was clearly very uncomfortable on roller skates. I'm just going to be on sneakers for this little bit here, which is part of the joke, I think, but it was mm-hmm. still really, really delightful. Like Excellent the rest framing, of it, just right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that you're not quite noticing it, but the way she's moving, it looks like she's on skates, but she is not. Um <laughs> But everything else you just said is also just dead on. Like the interviews were really solid, but also the ways in which that they framed how serious uh, the folks in this uh, rec league were taking this um, by having a seven phase plan that also includes not only how you advance to the next phase, but ways in which you will fall back for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Um, which a number of like states that have phased reopenings have those kinds of things in, but they only have like four phases. Mm-hmm. They have seven, and that's just so many and so serious. And I think that the point that the segment makes about the sheer range of organizations and like local governments that reached out to them for their reopening information and mm-hmm. how they were planning to roll all this out is just astounding. Um and really speaks to the, like you were saying, speaks to the way that because these are passionate people about this sport that brings them so much, that they want to make sure that they can all do it again safely and eventually do it safely 
in front of a crowd that also is passionate about this sport. And yeah, it was just really, really great to watch. Yeah. Got You got to love roller derby, right? I've never seen roller derby in person. I don't know if it would be my jam. It might be too violent for me, but you know, I always appreciate a roller der- derby segment whenever it comes up or like the very special roller derby episode. Um, our next episode uh, has a bit of a feeling of roller derby, but, you know, without the fun. Uh, the presidential debate. We had our first one this week and, you know, we'll see what happens as a result of all that. But let's try see how this goes. Talk about the TV aspect of it. What what did you think of the presidential debate? Aside, of course, listeners, you know our politics, but aside yeah. from all of the politics. So I think that there's a couple of things to like televisually kind of talk about. Um, the first obviously being that it's a very bad debate. And yeah. watching the news response to the debate, like immediate um really emphasize that and that was really wild from like a critique perspective of everyone else going yeah no that was bad and dana bash saying that was a shit show on cnn we'll see if i places. have the restraint to not put the crazy girlfriend sting in there yes <laughs> but yeah do it do it i demand that you do it allison demands that you do it it was a shit show um anyway that 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 i think was really like televisually also really interesting on a like it's not just an argument but they also was like a critique an aggressive critique of wallace in terms of his inability to control the flow of the discussion um which again you normally don't see that to a large degree from cable news or from any other like broadcast news outlets in critiquing the moderator that aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and to reseg into both the debate and also it as a televisual um, and informing sort of, because that's what they're intended to do. They haven't really done that for decades, um, inform voters or sway voters um, like you could argue that they basically stopped doing that in the seventies. Um, definitely by the eighties. Um, but I think that there is something to be said about Wallace's handling of the debate beyond his inability to corral Trump. And I think a lot of that boils down to the fact that when we have historically held debates, one of the big things that we've done, especially the presidential debates, the primary debates, not so much, but the presidential debates, um, that there's a, there is an expected air of impartiality from the moderators. Like, even during the early aughts elections in 04 and 08 and um, 2000, there was a large discussion about, like, Jim Lehrer's voting record and the fact that he makes a very big deal about the fact that he hasn't voted since like the mid eighties. Um, that hurts so, my like, brain so much. Yeah, no, it hurts. It hurts it, at the time though. Like it makes sense, right? Because it really speaks to that idea of journalistic impartiality. But at the same time, it's like, buddy, no. So that's sort of like an expectation. And here, what I find really interesting, especially in the latter half of the debate, was the ways in which Wallace stops being that impartial of a moderator. 
um, and the ways in which he begins to frame questions, um, specifically the way he frames questions for um, Joe Biden. So, like, when he talks about the, um, when he talks about, like, um, climate and economic policy, there's a, there's a sudden shift from, well, the president wants to do free market stuff, and you want to do big spending and big government. And these are very coded, this is very coded framing language that signals certain things to certain people. Um, and that's typically something you avoid as a moderator. And Wallace just doesn't do that. Um, then there's other like little things of particularly like with the climate section, which was not an announced section either. Yeah, um, that was yeah, that was a surprise. That was a surprise to a number of people. And um, so like in the climate section, like is arguably the best and worst part of the debate because Trump doesn't have anything to say because he doesn't have like a climate thing. So he's actually it's the first time he's quiet for like 11 minutes and it's amazing. But because of the fact that he doesn't actually have any policy and because his answer was nonsense, um, he's Wallace starts picking at Biden's like whole climate stance um, because Biden a has one, but B it's in this very kind of partisan way that doesn't frame it as an exchange of ideas, but rather as, well, that seems wrong and expensive. And how do you translate any of that into this, this, and this? But there's no follow-up to like Trump's whole thing about forest cities, which mm -hmm. just, where do you, wait, how do you not follow up on forest cities as a talking point initially to get some clarification? Or like, you know, hey, Proud Boys, stand by. <laughs> Right, which gets to the other thing of there are always softball questions in debates. Like, mm -hmm. they're just a given. And watching Trump continually whiff softball questions, um, just aggressively so, um, is really bizarre um, and really speaks to just how his brand of doing things is just bizarre. Um, and, well, outside the standard U.S. political norm. Anyway... Um, so it was just really interesting to watch and horrifying in any other number of ways to watch Wallace not being able to flow that conversation, but also to, and made an active decision to avoid fact checking, which leads to like the other question that was immediately in all the debates of that connects very deeply to broadcasting Trump rallies and his uh, press conferences with the coronavirus briefings was, is there a reason to air this debate if he's just going to have this degree of unfiltered time mm -hmm. um, to espouse just really blatant falsehoods and the degree to which that that harms the public good and har harms the public discourse. Um, that question is now essentially moot um, since with his with his potential hospitalization, who knows how long that's going to be, that th another debate, which was going to be a town hall mm -hmm. um, style, um, reasonably cannot happen now. Um, but the degree to which, like, is there, do we have an ethical and moral responsibility to even do another debate um, before the COVID testing came back positive for Trump? Um, if he was just going to continually, especially in regards to voting and violence and siding with his whole poll watching um, thing. Does that present a danger? 
And there's so much to think about in that with regards to television as a medium that uh, as a mass medium, um, but also now as a mass medium that is easily broken and spread through other outlets that are even more mass. So like clips on social media, clips on YouTube, and the ways in which those things proliferate, um, that extends their reach uh, for good or bad, depending on the nature of things. So I think that there's just a lot to really kind of chew on um, that almost now don't matter. But going forward, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Um, And yeah, I think that's like the last thing I'll say, and I promise this is the last thing (laughs) I'll say, um, is that I do think, and I was talking about this with um, my friend Corey Barker, who we've had on the show once or twice. Yeah, friend of the show. um, That um, Biden really represents the last of this kind of retail politician, um, where he really wisely and kept trying to aggressively tap into what he does best and what most debaters, most politicians do really well at the debates, who want to use the debates is that direct address to camera, which is Biden just does really well. Like it's Biden at his best. Biden's horrible at explaining policy. He's just really bad at it. He's never been good at at many parts of the debate. Yeah. Yeah. But when he does that direct address, when he does that, when he does that attempt to reach out to the viewing audience, he's incredible. Like that's, that's his whole thing. Like that's his bag. And those were the parts of the debate that you go, yes, this is this is the kind of thing that you expect from this sort of a, this sort of a debate. And it's really weird to watch Trump just let him do that um, unchecked and not even like trying to pull it back to him. And it's just kind of like that interrupting and dominating. But it felt like he Trump lost his ability to do that every time Biden zeroed in on like camera two. Mm hmm. And Biden went into Biden mode. You couldn't break him out of it. But any other time, it was just a real clusterfuck Um, and borderline dangerous, if not outright dangerous. So I'm legitimately curious about if they're going to do a VP debate, um, which was going to be like next week, next week, next week, Wednesday, Yeah, Wednesday. Um, So legitimately curious if that's going to happen. I don't see how they can do any more presidential debates, let alone they can't do a town hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also a little bit of me is also on just a level of watching these things really glad that maybe potentially we're not going to get at least a third standard podium or even like round table style. I forget what the third format was, um, because that was going to have a female moderator for it from NBC news. And given how Trump treated Chris Wallace, um, I don't want to think about how he was going to treat um, the uh, reporter. Any woman. (laughs) Or any woman, but a woman of color as well from NBC News. Yeah. Um, The person moderating the town hall was a a guy from C-SPAN who (laughs) my partner noted is used to just having people just shout at him for like 20 minutes uh, (laughs) when people call into Mm -hmm. C-SPAN. So he'll probably be fine with Trump. Yeah. The other thing that I think is uh, significant when talking about how this went down, it was, you know, you mentioned that Trump couldn't really do anything to or was did not successfully do anything to 
takeaway from Biden when he would lock into the camera, go straight to talk straight to the American people um, in that way. And I think a big part of that is that because of coronavirus uh, precautions, they were stuck behind podiums distance apart. He could not physically move around and like loom over Biden or, you know, near Biden. He could not physically like encroach on the camera because the cameras were fixed. So there was nothing he could do to draw attention through his movement. They did a split screen. It was very stationary. And, and he tried to talk over, but at a certain point, Biden just ignored and kept talking straight, you know, straight to camera. So it was hard to hear, but there was nothing Trump could do to stop him from, that's a great, from communicating his message. And that's a like, because when I think of, the 2016 debates that the in the town hall and the the physicality of that was a big part of yes. of that uh, experience you know the watching and taking in that debate so you know we'll see what happens as with the rest of these moving forward um yeah and trump does struggle like behind a podium regardless <laughs> especially yeah. in like formal spaces um but like, yeah, he's he struggled even like in the first presidential debate that was podium based as well uh, yeah. back in 2016. Yeah. So yeah. more on this. Should this story <laughs> develop? Yeah. We'll see. Uh, next up is DuckTales. Very different. They put a moon lander on the Earth. And this one is a Penumbra episode where we go with her to um, and Glomgold makes an appearance. But oh, her yes. <laughs> her struggling to uh, fit in on Earth and wanting to get back to the moon and just the culture clash and going from being a hero of her people uh, fighting and, you know, against scorpions and all of this to, you know, the, the other you know, moon moonlanders are... Uh, uh, really digging Earth. It's fun. And she has not really gotten the gist of fun. Uh, Earth fun. So uh, I, th- I think it's a good transitional episode for her. It's not as compelling for me as the premiere was, but it's solid. And uh, yeah, there's some fun voice performance. But mostly it's just an opportunity to watch Penumbra go on a terrible coffee date with Launchpad. So, oh, no. It's very brief, but... Enjoy. Oh, no, poor number. <laughs> and also poor Launchpad. It doesn't go yeah. well for either of them. Yeah. No. Uh, so I hope you will. I'm sure you will enjoy. I hope you enjoy yeah. when you get a chance to watch it. Um, but our last episode for the Week in TV is the premiere of the Great British Baking Show, uh, season 11 or collection eight, whatever. The new one, <laughs> Cake Week. So what did you think of, of this new cast? Because I'm super on board with them, especially after two episodes. But after one episode still, I like this cast. No, this is like, I feel like one of the best cast um, seasons in a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, I very much like almost all of these people immediately. And a couple of the folks I just don't have like a solid beat on um, yet, but it's, it was the first episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that everyone else is, has like an immense amount of chemistry. Everyone feels really comfortable on camera, which is great. And I think that everyone else also feels very sort of comfortable given the situation that they're in. And I think that that maybe helps in terms of everyone's affability, but also camaraderie with um, amongst them that I think is already really apparent. Um, And I also wonder how much of that is translated into like the chemistry between our hosts, like, um, Noble's already latched on to what's her name, Lottie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yep. As like a scene partner for stuff. He's got a couple new ones in the second episode too. Nice. Great. And they're all good. I'm very excited it's about very that. Good. Uh, because yeah. he and Lottie just make for an amazing TV in the first episode of Cake Week. Like they're just both in a good deadpan space. So I really like the, um, I really like the, I really like this uh, collection of acres. I'm very excited to keep watching. Um, even if I was like, is bubble gum and cream soda a good idea? It, it's it's not, but maybe you can make it work. Maybe that see that feels more like like a cupcake situation or yeah. a cookie, something smaller, like an entire yes. piece of cream soda and bubble gum. See, but then I'm reminded of Nadia's thing that she yeah, did with the soda, and that hers was really good. So, well, but both of those flavors together are a lot. Yeah. Um, if you're just if you doing just one of them and then a much milder flavor or something that really balances it, I think is a smart idea, but doing both of those is like really sweet, aggressive flavors was not a great idea anyway. Um, so yeah, I really like the contestants. Um, how did you feel about our new host co-host? I should say, uh, Matt Lucas. I think he's fine in the premiere, but I think he's better in the second episode. Okay. And, and there's, a good energy with the two of them. That's just absolutely ridiculous and playing into more chaotic energy that I think works well. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as it, I mean, cause it, it's very gentle uplift, right? So you can't be too chaotic, but um, I think, it, I think they're starting to get their rapport down in the second episode. And there's some bits in the first episode as well, but I have a sense that they're going to just improve from there. And I like that they're, they have a very different energy than, than what we had previously. So each set of hosts should have their own vibe if they can. And so I'm encouraged by that. And I think he's, he's fine. Um, in this episode, the, the challenges I liked, I thought everybody was making way too big a deal about the cake busts. People were talking about how it was like very nailed it and everything. It was like, yeah, but like, it's not nailed it. Um, and also, a couple things. First of all, first of all, why would you try to do Lupita Nyong'o? Why would you try to make a cake bus of one of the most like beautiful, like conventionally agreed upon as gorgeous people on the planet? Why would you do that to yourself? It's, and if you're going to do that, why would you not start with a base of a skull? And how is Lottie the only person who did that? Like, anyways. Um, so, so my thought with the with the cake bus is that it was. It was actually ended up being more of a signature challenge because they knew most of them weren't going to look all that great because it's a yes. really hard challenge and only four hours is not enough time to yes. do that kind of a challenge. Um, so it just kind of ended up being like, okay, but did it hold together? Does it taste okay? And, and can you tell who it's supposed to be? Yes. So for me, it was more playful and fun. I saw a lot of people talking about it as like epic bake-off fails and I didn't really, for me, they weren't going for that vibe. What did you think? No, I don't think that they're going for that vibe. Um, I think that they just, I legitimately think that they want to do something kind of a little weird mm-hmm. um, by doing like cake busts. Um, and also there are 11 seasons in. I mean. Yeah. They're going to start, we're going to start running into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I'm okay with it so long as they're not baking outside over in a fire pit. And then I'm fine. Like mm-hmm. literally that's that's the bar that they have to clear for me. Um yeah, I like that, like, one of the bakers, the whichever one did Darwin, uh, did, mm-hmm. like, an actual bust. 
um, and leaned into that, which helps him on like a decorating perspective as opposed to everyone else. Um, yeah. But I also liked like the Playmobil um, Freddie Mercury head was delightful. That was again another really smart call. Like I'm not going to yeah. try to make it actually look like Freddie Mercury. I'm going to make it yeah. look like a doll, like the Funko of yeah of Freddie yeah. Mercury. But you can you tell it's Freddie Mercury? Yes. Then your job is done. Your job yeah. is over. Um, so I think that there were like smart approaches to this that just sometimes people went too far in wanting to be realism. Like Lottie's cake looks like her subject, but it also looks like a caricature of her subject. And that makes sense. Like it works, I think, um, in both perspectives of an mm-hmm. approach. So I don't think that they were going for a nailed it thing. They definitely weren't even thinking about nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they were just wanting to do something a little weird, uh, something a little silly, and that they found a good avenue to do that. So I think it was fine. Um, yeah, I do think that four hours is not nearly enough time to do a yeah. cake bust, though. Um, but Like, we give you the cake, decorate it four hours. Yeah. Okay. But, yes. like, bake it, let it cool, and then start to decorate it? No. Yeah. Um, and I will say that, like, I very much agree with you about the Laputa cake. Um, but, but, the, and I... The top that you see for that bus, the mm-hmm. dress the top or whatever. Oh, gorgeous. Is gorgeous. Like, it's absolutely one of the best things in the entire episode is how really gorgeous that that, that fabric yeah. look is. Um, so much so that when she was, when that particular baker, what's her name? Hermine. Uh, Hermine, thank you. Um, was talking about how she's like, yeah, no, um, I'm just more of a patisserie person when they were talking about the batten i don't do cakes i do french patisserie it's like yeah that's not standard which is which is not like a great thing it's a weird thing to say but then you see that fabric and you go oh yeah you do i you get absolutely it absolutely do and i very much need you to make it to patisserie week so that i can see what you're actually capable of mm-hmm. um because that was just that that fabric was amazing. Like I kind of lost my brain, and I was also very upset that no one really mentioned the fabric. Well, no, Paul did. He said I Paul thought it did. was real. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. He's, oh, he did. Right, yeah. I, maybe I was just losing my mind too much, but yeah, no, I thought it was real too. Um, so, <laughs> and usually fondant does not look that delicate and precise. Yeah, so, so, yeah, it, it's it was very good. really well done. Um, yeah. Do you have any like stand? I know that you've got cake week behind you, so you kind you already not cake week, you biscuit week behind you already. Um, but do you have any like favorites based on this? Oh, yeah. I know that I know that we have you have a very specific favorite. Um, and I'm not and I agree with you that they are doomed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my like loyalty has to be with the musician, right? Rowan. Right. Um, and it is just in general, but then he does a magic flute cake and magic flute is not my Mozart jam. I'm much more Figaro person, but still like the, when he goes into the temple of enlightenment nerdery and everything, I was just like, yes, yes. Masonic subtext in the magic flute, which it's barely subtext. It's like, right. It's just, it's, it's text. But the point being, uh, and like a super nerdy over the top, ridiculous. And then I'll do this. It'll be great. And two people will get it, but those two people will love it. Like, it's very, like, I have to root for Rowan. Um, and then, like, you can see, as you're watching the episode, like, oh, oh, this is, this is, this is gonna be bad. You, you, 
you're you're doomed. You're not making it. But go, I'm gonna stick with you until you get eliminated. Um, is how I feel about Rowan. Uh, we have to mention there's several people that I really like. I thought Laura's whole thing with the cake and the Freddie Mercury thing and like that. I'll just say you like it. Come on, say oh you do like it. it was very charming. And uh, I'm also super on board with Peter. Uh, who is very good for uh, like in general, but like specifically as a twenty-year-old, um, the oh, youngest that, baker. That very kid good. Is ridiculous. That kid is ridiculous. I'm very worried he's just going to walk away with this. <laughs> well, I, there's some other there's some other contenders in there. I really like Sura. I really Sura, like yes. I'm ready to die for Sura already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing with this cast is that I actually am really engaged by a lot of them. I really mm-hmm. like a lot of them, and there's only a few that I feel like, okay, well, you're cannon fodder. You're not up to these others. And there, there's one or two who didn't do all that great in the first week who do quite a bit better in the second week. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, or, you know, like I, there's a few that I expect to get, like, eliminated one, two, three, um, kind of a thing. But then, from there, a lot could happen. So, and something that's really highlighted in the second episode is the flavors and the inspirations for the bakers. And across the board, they're really interesting and strong and very, like, wide-ranging. So I think that's a really encouraging aspect of this set of bakers, too. Yeah, that was something that um, I kind of tapped into with even the cakes of, like, there's a flavor, there are, like, a range of flavor profiles that are kind of being explored here Mm -hmm. that I was actually really happy to see. Um, I know, like, I knocked the bubblegum and cream soda, but there was just a willing to do different flavors here that I think I was very excited about. And I think that people are 11 seasons in finally embracing that you should maybe do a couple of different things. But for the love of God, everyone... Don't do any ruby chocolate because Paul Hollywood doesn't know what that is. I know, right? <laughs> it's so bold to use ruby chocolate. That comes up in the next episode. Um, oh God, does it really? I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't get remarked upon in general. Okay. But a couple people use ruby chocolate in, in, in the second episode, and ruby chocolate I think is delicious. I have eaten a bar, like the Whole Foods that I would stop at sometimes to get food when everything else is closed after teaching. Um, started carrying ruby chocolate bars uh like those like fancy couple dollar yeah. bricks and 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 I made the mistake of getting one thinking oh okay I'll snap a couple squares and then have the rest and then I ate the entire thing <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 really yummy um but it is it's very sweet um yeah. but like I would never eat a bar of white chocolate but yeah. I could definitely there's enough acidity and like that kind of fruity taste to it that I can easily just turn around and I've eaten an entire bar of of ruby chocolate so i'm i'm a fan um definitely but yeah the notion that that is a strange or bizarre thing like when they were making ruby chocolate kit kats years ago is very entertaining to watch yeah um one thing i do want to ask um is about biscuit week is Mm -hmm. Is the technical more interesting? Because when they had just had to make pineapple upside down cakes, I went, <laughs> Paul, I know this is week one, but Paul. <laughs> the technical for the second episode is another really straightforward one, but they do really well. And uh-huh. so, so it's kind of nice to see them all do well at it. Yeah. And sure. uh, okay. yeah, it's it's a very easy cookie. Okay. But the instructions, like, it's a, th- a cookie that has amongst the, the various things, they have to make a mango curd. And the first oh, okay. instruction is, make a mango curd. And then, okay. like, the last instruction is, bake. 
Okay. Some that's amount fair. of time. Like so so it's a simple bake. It um but it has plenty of room. Like there's that like half of the half of the bakers get a thing wrong or, or like only half of them manage to do one element of the bake correctly. So like there's a distinct like this looks great, but there this was the wrong size. This is the and all of these bottom half did not do this. And then the top half uh then has various factors to it. So even though it's a simple bake, it's you can see the delineation of between you know the, how the various choices impact where their standing is. Okay. So it's kind of nice to see them get some like do well, but yeah. also be able to gauge like be able to actually rank them and have it seem like it makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. I can. But yes, that. no, it, it, it's it's an easy one on the scale of things. It they're starting they're starting off gentle <laughs> with okay. this season of technicals. So we'll see how that continues. Okay. Did you like the Battenbergs? I did like the Battenberg. Like I, I appreciated it in particular that Lottie wanted to do something really kind of fancy with it, and while it didn't come out like perfect, mm-hmm. it still provided like on a visual level a little bit of variety. Um, but I just like the way like Battenbergs look. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's a very aesthetically pleasing looking cake. Um, so I've never had one though because I don't like marzipan. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I enjoyed all of the like that. Uh, there was a significant chunk of the bakers were like, yeah, I don't actually like marzipan because I mean, come on, have you tasted it? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Mac, it's like, bad. was like, I'm gonna make pistachio marzipan. It's like, oh, that actually sounds really interesting. That could be yummy. And they're like, you should have just done almond. It would have been better. I don't. And of course, it's Prue who says that, and Prue talks about how much she likes marzipan. It's like, well, yeah, fair enough. What are you gonna do? You can't win. Can't win. Can't win. Um, well, I look forward to your thoughts on Biscuit Week. And we'll talk about that next time. But for now, what wins your Wiki TV? Uh, Bake Off. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of TV this week. Um, mm-hmm. So I needed... I, I wish I had saved Bake Off for today. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, right? I that would have been good. episode I get to watch after we're done recording. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. So, but yeah, Bake Off wins my week. Um, though there was a degree of catharsis attached with um, last week tonight as well. Uh, mm-hmm. What about you? Well, like, is there an extreme for what doesn't when you're weak to TV? Like, this is our show. We can make this that is the most what doesn't when you're weak in TV of anything in the history of the, the podcast is the debate. But, um, uh, I, I'll give it to, I mean, Doom Patrol, I think might be up there for me. Yeah. Certain ep- episodes and moments of it. Um, but of these specific episodes, I guess I'll give it to the Amber Ruffin show. Good call. I like that too. Because I'm just very, I'm very on board with it, I'm enjoying it, and I have questions about like, I have, I have emotions around Bake Off and the fact that yes, they're in a bubble for production, but also how much of a bubble is that actually, and should you even be making TV right now? And I've got a lot of complicated emotions about that aspect of it. So, yeah, I'm just gonna go Amber Ruffin show. And now we will take a break, listen to part of a trailer for season one of Doom Patrol, and be back with our season spotlight right after this. Do you remember what it felt like? What? To be normal. I'm working with some fascinating people. Each one of them is just bursting with potential. Like you, Vic. Every person I save is me fulfilling a pledge to my mom that she'll never get to hear. Father and I already discussed it. Trying to make her proud. Knowing I'm the reason she's not around to see. This is bull. Since ah, you help me. The man is the man. I'm nobody. I'm 
been admiring those freaks of yours for quite some time. Are we really the best people to hunt a supervillain? Hell no. <laughs> You're all at my mercy. trailer for season one or part of a trailer i should say for season one of doom patrol which is available streaming on hbo max at this point there have been two seasons so far but the first season is the first 15 episodes and uh this is one that we caught up with recently uh listeners may remember i viscerally did not like and was really frustrated with the premiere but i kept watching because a friend of the show latoya ferguson her recommendation uh and I'm very curious how you feel about this show, Noel, because by the end, but like by the middle of the season, I was very much on board and having a lot of fun. But there's the the things that I hate about the the premiere, the pilot, I still hate about the show, and it has a bunch of stuff that I think is really annoying. But it, I like the show in spite of that because I actually really like most of the characters. I'm actually really engaged with them, like where they get to, and I think. There's a bunch of things that the show does to get me on board. A big one is the intro- introduction of Vic in the second episode. The pilot is nowhere near as good than the second episode because it doesn't have Vic. But there's also just some recalibration about on the tone and the performances. And so I think I like this show with the team as a team of people doing superhero-y things, even if they aren't superheroes much more than I like the origin story that we get for the first chunk of the season. And I'm curious how you, how you feel about that. And ultimately um, where you ended up with the show. So what, what did, what did you think of Doom Patrol? So when I was watching it, and especially as the show kind of settles into itself a little bit, um, because I do agree with you that there's a rockiness to the initial stuff and the pilot isn't great. And that the, once, once they're able to kind of become, a team air quotes um the show improves a lot i think but for me what i really tapped into especially a little bit like after the second episode but as it becomes like a kind of aggressively clearer um this is a for me anyway this is a version of legion that is not up its own ass um oh it's up its own ass in some ways it is, but it's up its own ass in a way that doesn't feel like overly pretentious yeah. about it. Um, so I'd rather have a show that's up its own ass, but is kind of aware it's up its own ass mm-hmm. um, than a show that is aggressive about being, aren't we smart? Aren't you smart for getting that we're smart type of thing, which is my whole deal with Noah Hawley. Um, so I think that that's kind of where I ended up with Doom Patrol because this is a show that is aggressive about not wanting to be a superhero show in the same way that Legion is aggressive about not wanting to be a superhero show while still sort of like hitting those beats and like poking at that concept a bit. Um, Even if Doom Patrol, I think is a little more straightforward in being a superhero show. It's just a really weird superhero (laughs) show. Um, 
But I think that there's a lot to like in this. Um, I've I, my partner and I both like ended up watching it, watched it all. Um, not all of it. We haven't watched season two, but we watched all of this season, and we both really, really enjoyed it. And we were both really kind of surprised by how attached we got to it. And um, I do agree with you that a lot of that boils down to this cast, which I think is across the board really, really strong. Um, and I do want to make sure that when I say the cast, I mean both the cast that provides voice work and the cast that provides physical acting work, because that's really, really significant for two of these characters. And they deserve credit um, for making sure that Larry and Cliff come alive, um, considering that Matt Bomer and Brendan Fraser are not in those suits or not in those outfits. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's really important. And we can talk about it, and we'll talk about it as we get in deeper. But I think having just such a strong cast makes up for a lot of other issues that I would have otherwise had with the show. Um, so it's a pretty solid recommend for me to like when we start digging in, but I actively liked it. My big problem is that it's 15 goddamn episodes. <laughs> it's a lot of episodes. It's so many, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but it's so many episodes. And while it gives them a lot of room to play, it's still a lot of episodes and it's, it was a lot to do in a week. I think if I hadn't had to do this it, in a week. Yeah. If you'd watched it week to week, I think it'd been fine. I think it would have been fine, but marathoning it the way I did, it was not a great experience. Um, but yeah, so easy recommend for me. I'm eager to kind of like start digging into it. And I kind of do want to start with your feelings about the pilot. Cause you talked about it a little bit uh, last week or the week before. Um, so I want to hear a little bit more about the pilot, but also that those elements of the pilot that for you carried over across the show's run that you found off-putting, but the show still found a way to charm you. Oh yeah. Though I, everything with Alan Tudyk's character, Mm -hmm. the, the performance, the writing, the use of the character, like everything about it, I thought was irritating, smug and self-centered. And not, like, the character's supposed to be that, obviously. But also, I'm just watching this going, like, this isn't funny. You aren't clever. And the exact thing you are you were talking about, about Legion. Um, like, look how clever we are. So you get it and we get it. But those other people don't get it. That's exactly, for me, what the show was doing with that character. And okay. with all the direct address, like, direct to, to camera. Ah, but I am the narrator. Just, like, none of it was funny to me. None of it was creative. None of it was interesting. And it was just so so certain that they the tone of that was so certain that they were being so clever and you've never seen this before and aren't we just like the coolest kids in school i was like no you're not like other people have done this too and that's fine don't why are you so proud of yourself for this um it was like versus an episode like when they go to the the fuktopia uh Mm -hmm. and that that was like ridiculous and heightened and over the top, but in a much more interesting and compelling way than just being, just being like, ah, but they don't understand that. Oh, and this show sucks. And ah, that's the poster I've been looking for. It's like, we get it. You're so meta. It's so clever. Um, So yeah, the, it was, it was too up and down ass for me uh, in that way. Um, like when, by the time you've got Alan Tudyk walking past the Doom Patrol poster and like, finally a team that I can fight against who are worthy of my talents and all of that. It's like, 
we get it. You're, you're not, you know, you're on the show. Okay. You're so smart. Can we move on please? Um, yeah. Well, I find that really interesting. Um, your response, because I had like a weird sort of opposite response, not in that I found it enjoyable though. I do really like Tudyk's performance. Um, and I especially like Tudyk's, both his costuming as a director with those weird riding pants that they give mm-hmm. him, but also like his nobody look of like this weird refugee from a late eighties, early nineties, um, like live action, full motion video, um, computer game where he looks like he's from Tron or something. Um, all of that I thought worked really well for me. I think that the joke is not that they're being meta or that they're trying to think that they're clever for being meta, but that nobody thinks he's being clever, but that it also like really speaks to just how really sad and pathetic he is by the end. Um, that this is, this is what he thinks is clever, um, which is why he's failed miserably. He's gotten booted out of by the end, two different brotherhoods of evil. Um, and I, so I think that the, the entire idea is that the shtick is tired. He's the only one that's not aware of it. Um, but I can, I absolutely see where you're coming from. For me, I think that's the joke is that it is tired. He just doesn't know it. Um, but I see where you're coming from. But yeah, that's how I read it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah. and again, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. makes, that makes sense that that's what they're shooting for. But the trouble for me is, is that it's absolutely obnoxious. So it's like, see, but the point we're making is that he's obnoxious. I'm like, yeah, but why do I want to watch something that's obnoxious? Like, congratulations, you achieved your goal. I don't want to watch it. You yeah. know, it makes me want to turn off the TV show. So, and, whereas, and then I just, I powered through that, especially later in the show. I wouldn't have kept watching if Latoya didn't recommend it, but I powered yeah. through that because I was invested in these characters and these performances. And then, as you right. very rightly say, both the vocal performances and the physical performances for the characters for whom that is a, like, those are different performers, different actors. Yeah. So let's dig into the performers a little bit then. Um, let's, like, let's start with, like, our two, like, headliner, like, celebrity folks. Um, with Matt Bomer um, and Brendan Fraser doing voice work for Larry and Cliff, but also showing up in live action flashbacks and dream sequences. Um, one of the things I've been saying to a lot of people is that this has significantly more Matt Bomer than I was anticipating it was going to have, um, like physically on screen. Whereas I was expecting much more Brendan Fraser <laughs> on screen than we actually end up getting. Um, and then we should note that Matthew Zook provides the actual present day body for Larry and that Riley uh, Shanahan is the person in the Cliff Robot Man mm-hmm. outfit doing both of them just doing really bang up job work in their respective physical performances. Um, so how did both of those characters and those quadruple performances, that quintet of performances, quintet? Yeah, quartet. Yeah, quintet. Uh, play for you. Yeah, they're really strong. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the for me, they they slow walked Larry quite a bit too much. Uh, like they they needed to get to him a bit sooner. Uh, but I, I you know I have a, actually a big problem with Cliff in the first episode or two. Um, mm-hmm. I think the show hadn't found him quite yet. Yes, and, absolutely. But once they do, he's my 
like he's the character I'm in with the whole rest of the season. Um, and they do a good job with the voiceover of making it sound like it's coming inside from inside of a robot. Too. Or from behind a bunch behind of bandages. A, but yeah, right. Like they do a good job with it, with that lo- level of it. But um, no, just the, they are, once they get to strange things are happening, who knows what's going on? Your your as far as I'm concerned, your audience surrogate character is Cliff going like, well, yes. I don't know. The donkey's a key. The donkey's a door. <laughs> who knows what's going on? Let's just do our best. It's got it's got that legends energy of like, oh, we're just doing our best. We're trying to stop crazy crazy things keep happening, ridiculous things keep happening. Um, this person turned into a that, and this person, and then there was a giant cockroach. It was an apocalypse uh, apocalyptic doomsayer. So like. Their life is strange. And once the show embraces our life is strange, um, it's just so much fun. Uh, and and the balance between that it strikes between the tragic and the um, the relatable, like the impossibly mm-hmm. never could relate to it. And the of course, we all relate to it is just right for those characters. Um, I mean, I, th- I think for really the whole show uh, to to get it to come together and sing in in a good way and uh yeah that those two i think work really well bomer is like in his own show yes when he's on screen when mm-hmm. he's physically there uh but i like that show too so yeah. it works out yeah um no i fully agree with everything um i think shanahan and zoot do really great work uh yeah. on screen yeah um and that both the show and the performers do a really good job of and i don't know the orders in which like dialogue was recorded and then dubbed or the ways in which that played out but i think that there's a really good a generally a really good match on both of those things like yeah there's a through line between the physical performance and the vocal performance that you don't always get in these kinds of situations because of like how the production work shook shook out but i think that there's generally a pretty solid consistency i think that there's a weird occasional disconnect between bomer and zook's performances Mm -hmm. every now and then but it doesn't happen a lot um whereas fraser and shanahan i think they're right in sync yeah they're right in sync and i think that they're in sync in part because fraser can just go as big as he wants and Shanahan is deeply restricted by the costume yeah. that it creates this really beautiful comedic juxtaposition between both performances that then create this really beautiful character as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the puppet work with like uh, Cliff's eyes blinking in particular do a lot of, do also do a lot of that heavy lifting as well. So I think that both of those performances are pretty strong. Um how did you feel about um I'm going to I'm going to save Dalton for like second to last. Mm-hmm. Um but how did you feel about uh Hovian Wade um as Vic um playing like the iconic character in the show since Cyborg is someone who's been in the general kind of popular cult- cultural consciousness of DC shows for like a couple of decades now. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with Cyborg, other than mm-hmm. knowing that he's a big deal superhero. He's, like, probably the biggest deal superhero that I am not familiar with. Sure. Um, so, you know, it, but it, it really makes such a difference when they add him into the cast. It it really energizes and brings everything else together in a way where, like, I, it, it feels like they knew something was missing, and then they chose to add him in 
in the second episode because I don't know why you wouldn't have him in the first episode if you always intended that character to be there. Um, yeah. So who knows? I'm not familiar with the production like trajectory of the show, but uh, when he shows up, it's like okay, uh, I don't know anything about it. And I really care about most of these characters, but I like that guy because <laughs> the other ones take a while to warm, you know, for you to warm to them. They're dealing with a lot. They found out that they died and are now inside of a robot and they can't feel anything. And that's traumatic. And they, you know, all these, they have a lot of baggage and a lot of pain that they're dealing with. So having Vic be someone who obviously has a traumatic backstory as well, but has been, is more active and more engaged mm-hmm. with the world makes a huge, huge difference. So yeah, I think he, he really works. And I mean, I can't speak to that character in the, mm-hmm. you know, how it connects with other performances or other, like, writing for that character. But I think that he is very much the linchpin of getting the show off the ground. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think Wade does a really great job. Um, I like Cyborg. I've read, a couple, I've read like, a, some of the Cyborg comics from the New 52 relaunch. And I'm familiar with various other, like, media iterations of Cyborg um, through Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go!, um, but also through um, a couple of the animated DC shows as well. Um, one of the best things is that they do here is that they get right, because you kind of have to get this right, is that his dad, Silas, is a complete and total prick. Um, <laughs> because Silas is a complete and total prick in the comics. Like, you can't have Cyborg's degree of optimism, but also that dehumanization process that they do I think a fairly good job of really exploring towards the back half of the season um, without Silas just being awful um, and kudos to um, hang on let me get his name um, Phil Morris who's great as Silas as well um, really baking in degrees of just like I did this for your own good but also I did this to save you and I all this stuff that is percolating in Silas comes out really nicely in that Silas is still an awful human being. Um, But yeah, Cyborg provides a really good glue for that reason that you just said of he's in the outside. He's trying to kind of like bump up enough to join like the justice league, uh, which in the comics, he's kind of a semi mainstay member right now. Um, But there's just a really good sort of, because he knows the outside world he's got enough knowledge to know that this is really weird (laughs) all of this is weird um and maybe you shouldn't be outside but also that he's just exposed to this very weird new world that i think even members of the justice league would be like wait so the street is sentient and can teleport oh my god (laughs) listeners if you are at all interested in this conversation and have not watched the show let me tell you what, along with Latoya's recommendation, got me to stick with the show. Eventually, you are introduced to Danny the Street. And Danny the Street is a comic book creation character yes. from the show. Uh, it is a sentient, genderqueer street. Like, 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 a, like asphalt, like a street. With yeah, shops. it's like a block, a couple of blocks long. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, like, if that concept, it, it's a character that is a street. Yes. If that is, if you're like, wait, wait, but, and also it has a gender. Yes. They prefer they, them pronouns. Yes. They are a a character that has emotions and thoughts and uh, aspirations and uh, schemes of, of, of their own who pops up at several points throughout this season. If you're anything like me, that is enough of a reason to keep watching because Danny the street is amazing. (laughs) 
Yes. Danny's Danny there's a weird bench and I want to get to them after we deal yeah. with the main cast of the sheer weirdness of very supporting cast and guest characters that kind of circulate through this show. But Danny's just the best. Yeah. Um it's just really good. Um I'm gonna the cake when they send the cake. Oh, it's very good. Everything is cake. <laughs> Everything is cake. Including um, Danny the Street is cake at one point. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to group Timothy Dalton and April Balby together um, because I, f- I really just kind of want to rave about Diane Guerrero by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so how did we feel about a- April Balby, who plays um, Bowlby, who plays Rita Farr, um, slash this iteration of Elastigirl? Mm-hmm. Um, and Timothy Dalton, who plays the chief um, and is mostly off screen, but then also gets like a big showcase episode. Um that is not good. Not great. But, he yeah. is selling, you know, like like his life depends on it. He's yes. he's doing his best, uh, but nothing could save that episode. Yeah. Uh, I think that Bulby is really good, actually. I was really impressed, particularly by the vocal choices that she's doing, um, which it took me a second to realize, you know, because it's it's a very uh, seamless performance, but to, to, it took me a second to think about all the choices she was making in her diction and posture and all of this, this that comes together is Rita is a very mannered character, you know, for very distinct reasons. And I think I was really impressed with her. I was not familiar with her before this. And then she's done like always nothing. Oh, she hasn't really done a whole lot. Um, which was really surprised me. She, um, she's worked a little bit. She was like on two and a half men for a little while. Um, and then she's done like a lot of like guest work, um, across a lot of shows. Um, but she was on Drop Dead Diva for like the shows, I think most of its run, which was her like big show. Um, and I don't remember her on Drop Dead Diva. I watched like that first season, but that was almost like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't quite remember a lot of it, but she was one of the main characters on that. Um, so she's been around, but she also just has been like knocking around doing a lot of guest work. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. And Dalton, you were saying Dalton. No, it's okay. I, but Dalton is always great. He's just yeah. fun. He's very good. He's yeah. just right in what they ask him to do and they, he's deployed well. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of all of these performances. What did you think of the, of these two? Yeah, I think Dalton does really great work um, throughout. Again, like the flash, the big flashback episode, he can't salvage just because it's a weird mess of wanting to give you information, except it doesn't want to give you any information at all, Mm -hmm. um, which is a big problem with that episode. Um, But he, like you said, he's just trying to sell all of it. Um, Dalton, in no small part, because he's entered this weird stage of his career where he can just kind of make fun of himself um has been like a godsend for him as a performer um so his whole thing of like especially like the new year's eve party um flashback is just delightful from him but also kate his whole thing where he says chocolate chip (laughs) about the pancakes every time killed me yeah, um, it's, it's very because good. it's very funny. So Dalton Pro, very good. Um, Bulby's great. I absolutely agree. Um, is that th- that mannered performance, the over-articulation in a lot of places, uh, the ways in which like sh- her posture and everything, it all feels very much of a piece of someone who's in dire need of being in control. 
which is her whole deal. Um, because otherwise she starts to just turn into a big blob. Um, but it all makes sense. So I, but it all works. It's all really compelling. And I think that there's just a, like you were saying, there are a number of really good layers to that performance that I just really, really like. Um, and that for me is actually her performance is what kind of kept drawing me back to the show. Um, along with, uh, the work that Fraser and, uh, Shanahan were doing. Um, but I was just really pleased with, uh, Diane Guerrero who plays Jane here. Um, it's not so much the fact that she gets to play like different personalities, um, that I was just mostly impressed with her work as Jane more so than doing all the other personalities. Um, because most of the personalities didn't feel like super distinct from Jane because the violent ones tend to be the ones that would come to the forefront. Um, aside from a couple of other ones that were really solid comedic efforts. Karen. Karen. Fucking Karen. Karen's um, the worst. But the thing I really like about this is that it's a big kind of here I am kind of performance from Diane Guerrero after doing really good work on Orange is the New Black and also doing really great guest work whenever she showed up on Jane the Virgin. Yeah. Um, but here she just gets to like be a big showcase um, performance. So that in particular made me really happy. How did you feel about Guerrero's work as Jane slash various other personalities, um, but mainly Jane? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like what, I remember when she left Orange is the New Black to do this. Uh-huh. And I was like, you're leaving Orange is the New Black to like where you are a main like recurring character, but like a main part of the ensemble to go do some superhero show that you on a streaming thing. Why would like, and then you see it and you're like, Oh, that's why. Yeah. Cause she gets <laughs> to actually do stuff like, okay. And not all of it works. Yes. Uh, that the, the least said about that Cockney accent, the better. Uh, Oof, yeah. Let's not talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. But I think Jane, I agree. Jane is the, the core of, of that performance is really, really strong. And, you know, she's doing so, a lot of really interesting, fun stuff with it. I think that she nails her spotlight episode. The episode with the underground is one of the best yes. episodes of the series so far. I mean, like Hard the first season. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, I think that she does a g- really great job with Jane. I think she does a very good job with Hammerhead. And then, the, and she's very fun as Karen. Like there's a few characters, you know, a few of her personalities that come to the forefront and they work better than than some of the others but no i I was very compelling and the relationship with jane and and cliff and i can't tell if they want us to ship it i don't but like the friendship and that connection i don't think that they do i don't think they do because it's it's more than that you know it feels much more like a sherlock joan thing um which is a much more meaningful and compelling relationship anyways uh so like and there's a lot of like like family issues that they're both dealing with and uh, so, it, yeah, it, it's really a very strong part of it. And when she gets to just be Jane or gets to be, you know, deal with some really, some of those more central personas, personalities, and and work through, you know, the, the, the thread we see her go through, I guess, over the course of the first season, it's really compelling and, and it works really well. Yeah, the um, the Jane Patrol episode, which is the one that you were referencing where they go to the underground, is episode nine. And it's just 
really good. Um, it's also really delightful because you do see the ways in which they control their budget because the, the underground is just clearly remade as the Bureau of Normalcy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's okay because the show's budget is very weird. Um, so I think that that's just, yeah, it's a really great performance. Um, and I was really happy to see her just kind of like get all this stuff to do, like I said at the top. Um, so I guess like the next thing is... Tell me about some of your things, oh favorite things that we haven't talked oh about. Um, so and some of your favorite episodes or favorite moments uh, so that we can kind of wrap up here. Yeah, we need to talk about a few things. We need to talk yeah. about uh, they weren't allowed to use Constantine, which makes me sad because it would have been really cool to have a Constantine crossover. They're they're not allowed to use Constantine because the comics, when they originally did that character, were yeah. not allowed to use John Constantine. Yeah. That's so fine. they had to make up a fake John Constantine. <laughs> and but if you're gonna make up a fake John Constantine, Mark Shepard's a great way to go. And yes, Willoughby no, Kipling is, yes. is delightful. Uh but I forgot all about that. Thank you for bringing it up. It's so good. But we also cannot overlook Alec Mappa as Animal Vegetable Mineral Man, which is amazing. And then on a more serious note, but also a ridiculous note, how much how much is Allison, when she watches this, going to love Devin Chandler Long as Flex Tallow? Because Flex Tallow is amazing and so very, very good and absolutely ridiculous. But it works. I am just like, all these side characters, all these bit characters work really, really well. Like, the, the what's Admiral Whiskers? Right? Admiral Whiskers, yes. Like, it's just, like, I have my, you know, Curtis Armstrong is delightful as as Ezekiel. I have my issues with some of the, the, the story plot points and beats and all of that, but the performance is very strong. But just, like, the concept of Admiral Whiskers, it's, it's so fun. It's so ridiculous and out there, and I love it. I love it so much. What, what, what do you think about these, these side characters? Um, so yeah, the Mark Shepard as Willoughby Kipling, which is the most non-John Constantine name you can come up with, um, is really delightful. Like you said, if you can't use Constantine, then using Mark Shepard to play not Constantine is the way to go. Um, and yeah, no, you you just see this guy and you go, wait, hang on. Is this, is this the Earth-21 version of John Constantine? No, it's not. Because <laughs> they're not allowed to use him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also just kind of reminds you that you really aggressively want Matt Ryan's John Constantine to show up on this show. Yes. Um, so much. Oh, God. I viscerally need it. <laughs> I just need it so bad. Um, so, yes, all of that. Um, I really love Alec Mappa showing up as Animal Vegetable Mineral Man. Um, Who I didn't realize was actually in the comics. I just figured it was made up for the show. I did nope. not realize it's an actual comics character. Nope. Comics are weird, man. Comics are weird. Um, but I just, I really found that just very silly and very delightful. Um, and I, gl- I was glad that it turned into like a background runner for mm-hmm. everything. Like anytime they turned on the TV, he was just like, he wouldn't turn state's evidence against the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the dinosaur had tried to eat him. Yep. Um, that was very good. Um, Devin Chandler Long as, uh, Flex is just 
great. Um, like it's just really, really beautiful performance on a couple of different levels for a very earnest character that is designed on purpose to be very earnest. Um, so I really, really, really liked that. I do want to shout out Tommy Snyder as the very gross beard hunter, mm-hmm. um, who is just terrible, but his whole bag is just delightful. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I do want to like make sure that he gets a little love. Um, and yeah, I just, (sighs) we also need to talk about Curtis Armstrong. Yeah. And Ezekiel, the doomsday prophet cockroach. Yeah. Because Kate, I, I thought maybe that was just going to be a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, that weird little joke in the pilot. It's in the pilot, right? Yeah, it's it's right at the beginning, yeah. And then it's just like, it keeps, the, it just keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just keeps coming back. Um, so I think that there's a lot of really, like, good side characters that move in and out of this uh, first season. None of them are as good as Danny. Yeah, Danny's But nothing is going to be as good as Danny. Um, like, my other big note about Danny is that whomever chose the font for Danny did an excellent job. <laughs> like, the traffic sign font is so perfect that I, my brain kind of couldn't get over how perfect that font was yeah. for Danny delivering dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we were running long, longer than yes. we wanted. Uh, but I, I gotta say, looking at the list of episodes, as big a problem as I have with that premiere... Uh, they, they do, it, it's a little slow going, but I think Puppet Patrol is really strong. Yes. And it, it really turns things up. And then you go right into Cult Patrol, which is, I think, really strong. And then, you know. It's so the, weird. The, Cult Patrol is such and, a weird episode. It's so, it's so, well, it's a two-parter, right? It, it, yes. Yeah. And then, and then you've got Therapy Patrol, which is very, very good. Yes. And. And then you get Jane Patrol a little bit after that. You get, uh, I mean, you get Flex Patrol. Like, there are a number of really strong episodes. And even the ones that uh, are less, uh, like, like the the stuff, the threads that we get with Cyborg in particular, um, are not my favorite episodes. But I think they're a really strong structure for the season. That they, they, are, they do a lot of really necessary work so that we can kind of linger in some of these more spotlight episodes. Um, and, and it keeps things moving. Um it really, it. I, I mean, I. For me, the end is fun, and I enjoy it and all. But I'm like, oh, okay. I, I'm more excited by getting to what comes next. Um, but the starting in the third episode, and certainly, like, there's like you're starting to see what they want to be. I think by the third episode, um, a little bit in the second, but definitely by the third, and then it just kind of picks up steam from there. And I think the middle chunk of the season is really strong, um, and I'm very excited to catch up with season two before too yeah. long. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. I think that Therapy Patrol in particular represents a real turning point. It's probably my favorite episode um, yeah. of the show um, because it allows it, they do those vignettes that then kind of begin to collide. But then they start using that a lot more just on like across episodes, basically. So like um, they get um, Jane Patrol and Hair Patrol provide little seeds across one another that I really, really appreciate. But Therapy Patrol is probably one of my stronger episodes. And I do agree with the point that you said way up at the top, that they take way too long to get through to Larry. But then when they do, they're saving it all because of 
his backstory really comes to the forefront in the back half. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they saved it all. But it all it's just also really frustrating because he's just this weird question mark for, I think, too long of the show. Yeah. Um, but when you start getting all of that stuff, it's really great. So he, I think the back half is just really, really strong. And I really like it. And I don't have anything else to say except Kate. The butts are loose. <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, and then you'll understand what that means. I'm not even going to put any context on that, but just say, yeah. yeah. The butts are loose! The butts are loose. <sighs> Protect us all. Protect us all. Um, any final thoughts on Doom Patrol? I, like, I was worried about this conversation bringing out all the things that I'm frustrated with about this show, but instead it really just highlighted all the things I find very charming. I have a final set of questions for you about this, but do you have any final thoughts? No, I'm all set. I want to hear these final questions. Okay. Who let's do the, the, the legends one for one. Cause I, okay. I have some pretty strong <laughs> ideas on this, but I'm curious what your take is. So who is who, if this was legends? Oh, goodness. Um, goodness, 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 goodness. Um, so I really do think that Rita's probably Sarah. Okay. Um, in a very sort of like weird roundabout way. Um, I, I really do think Rita's a natural leader that doesn't want to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, Cliff, you want Cliff to be Rory, but he, he's just too, put me on the spot and my brain can't like. I did. I did put you on the spot. Okay. So I'll yeah. tell you what, how yeah. I. Yeah. Tell me how you feel about it. How I feel about it. Okay. So for me. It's very clear Sarah is Vic. Vic is Sarah. This is the leader okay. of our group who goes off sure. with the other heroes on the rest of the time and then comes and hangs out with their weird friends that their other friends don't get, but like they get them in that, their own distinct This way. makes a lot more sense than my choice. So Go this on. Is, so that is, that, you know, so we're starting from there. And then we've got uh, Cliff is not Rory because Cliff is obviously Nate. And which you can tell from all of his exasperated, like, but guys, what are we doing? Like, it's very, for me, very clearly and kind of broy, kind of sportsy, right? Sure. Um, so for me, Cliff is definitely Nate. Then um, for Jane is Charlie. Like, yeah, that that's easy. Um, and then that leaves us with uh, with Larry, who's more like with it. Like I, I go to a snart place instinctively, like more restrained, more pulled back. But I don't know that that's quite right. He um, does call someone basic at some point. <laughs> Um, which is about as smart as you can get. <laughs> um, and then, and then for Rita, I'm thinking more, more Ava f- for that, you know, like more uptight and restrained and mm-hmm. held in kind of a thing. But when she like can relax in, and get into it and feel more confident, um, can be a real leader, as you were saying, and, and, uh, keep everybody, you know, get everybody whipped into, into shape and into line. Um, so that leaves us with uh, our supporting cast of Constantine's Willoughby, obviously. Uh, the, Niles, the chief, that's, I mean, I, we can't really get into that because of spoilers. Um, but then then we've got uh, Gary as Animal Vegetable Mineral Man. Um, See, I was going to say Gary is Beard Hunter. Beard Hunter? Sure. Okay. 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 But what also about- we should, we, we should note that, the guy who plays Gary, Adam Shankman, got promoted to a series regular for next season of Legends Tomorrow, which makes me very happy. Yes. Finally, yeah, very- he's he's done his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just, we're missing a few, right? We don't have yeah. our good boy Ray. 
right? Yeah. We we need a right. And who would who do you think for flex? I don't have an answer for I don't have an answer for Danny, and I don't have an answer for flex. But but Gideon, Danny, but I yeah. don't have an answer for flex. So I think flex is probably Mona. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I think yeah. flex is probably Mona. Flex would go to book club. Yeah. Yeah. Once once flex understood the concept of, of book club, because we know flex likes his stories. Yes, flex likes his stories. And okay. Flex likes to make people happy, even yeah. if he sometimes does it by accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you for indulging me because yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that taxonomy. Uh, you're going to have to share that with Latoya so that she can weigh in. Yeah, give, give, share, share her thoughts. Um, but yes, uh, just it's it's very it's very fun and in a similar but very distinct way from Legends. Yes. Um, yeah, but we're going to have to do a season two, one of these, you know, give ourselves yeah. some time to catch up with it. So we don't have to binge it, but yeah, season two only has nine episodes. So thank listeners God. expect a part two, but also it only has nine episodes because of the pandemic. So yeah. my, my thank God is tempered by that, but there's only nine episodes <laughs> for our viewing purposes. We, we yeah. appreciate a little bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, so remember at the t- start of the show, when I said this was going to be a short one, it's 90 minutes. We're fine. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, that was, look at that. Look at that. Sorry, listeners. I hope you weren't didn't need it to be a short one. Uh, but I very much enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and people, if you are at all interested in this, check out Doom Patrol. And in our conversation, check out Doom Patrol. Because, uh, yeah, I'm just like, the more I talk about it, the more on board I am. So I'm excited. Hopefully we'll hear from some listeners about this. Uh, if you show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can find us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts. And we're also over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. You can find my Bake Off writings, uh, my Bake Off recaps, I should say, over at the AV Club. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel. You are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Nolan. Happy birthday once again. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 